Fine. I'll tell me when I've had enough to drink. Thank you very much. You just drive the car and shut your trap. Words I've never said. We already have our first out. Okay, here we go. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the laughter. (laughs) The heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Spearsy. And Brad, sort of in LA. And today, we welcome in the new year by celebrating the new starts of the 80s. You know, those amazing stars who got their second wind in our decade. Wait, what? New starts? I'm confused. You know, you know, new starts, new beginnings, comebacks. Comebacks, new year, new starts, the enduring spirit of the soul to overcome the greatest of odds. God help me, what have you done with my friend Eeyore? Our laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why, sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our pages on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Steve, joining us today, someone who has her costumes for the theme nights on this year's 80s cruise. She's had them planned since 20 minutes after they were announced. Jen with one N. Hello. Um, a little quibble. <laughs> First of all, outfits, not costumes. And second of all, I have not, <laughs> I have not had that much time to plan. However, I was on a call with my BFF, Lucy, who's coming on the cruise with me, and we had a huge conference call a couple days ago and we plotted every like we have our shared google doc where we've got the days the themes the the, nice. the um trivia and and we are going to begin to assign outfits to each of those blocks of time because if you've ever been on the 80s cruise you know one bring a humongous suitcase and two you will be changing frequently <laughs> 
and three, bring yeah. another humongous suitcase. Okay. I will, in my defense, I don't use the word outfit okay. because men do not wear outfits. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I was about to ask about that too. I don't understand what the objection is to costume versus outfit. Well, because and ensemble, maybe we could use the word ensemble. Ensemble. Oh, it's very sophisticated. No, I, I, I don't like to say costumes unless it's like a costume party i guess because for me going on the 80s cruise is such an immersive experience like it's so fun to just be back in that time that a lot i appreciate the subtlety well yeah and a lot of times i'm like mostly putting together ensembles that i would have wanted to wear but my mom would have killed me if i wore or that i just like try on different personas that i never had a chance to in that in those years so i'm really wearing like real clothes (laughs) right like putting on a polo shirt and some plaid shorts and deck shoes it's not a costume yeah just dressing like an 80s person exactly that's tuesday for me brad by the way (laughs) right right we just call that i need to go get an omelet oh seriously though i i found one of the white whales i've been looking for as i've been going thrift shopping is a um lacoste polo shirt Mm -hmm. but lacoste Mm -hmm. and i found it the other day new year's eve three dollars three dollars i found my finally i was so excited did it, it has the alligator and everything on everything. it? Everything. It's got the like the the back tail is a little bit longer than the front. Yeah, the the tennis tennis cut. Lovely, yeah, very nice. lovely. I was very so excited nice. oh, about man. that find. That's classic. That is really classic. As we speak, and as you're probably listening to this show, eight weeks until the cruise. Man, I got so much to do. Don't say that. Number. I know. We've got to finish the trivia. We've got to finish coming up with a bunch of little small details. I got to make sure my passport's still valid. But uh, anyway. Let's not uh, let's not ruin the New Year buzz that we have going on right now. In some Woo-hoo! cases, I'm being very specific, <laughs> but uh, so I had this idea that it's the first show of 2019. Still getting used to saying that, and I thought about I thought about how cool it would be to go back and think about those celebrities in the 80s who really had like they got their second wind, as Billy Joel likes to sing, you know, and they made a huge comeback. And it's not like if if you Google it today, if you Google like eighties comeback, you see all these stories about how eighties stars are making comebacks today. Right. But what we what we forget is thirty years ago that phenomenon was still going on. Stars from the fifties and sixties were making huge comebacks in the eighties. And so what we've done is we've gone through and we've kind of loosely broken it up to movies, TV, and music. And we're gonna talk about six people or six bands or six artists who all have had who all had amazing comebacks in the 80s, you know, fresh starts. And we'll have some fun with that, maybe play some clips and uh, try to get our minds geared for whatever kind of chaos 2019 is prepared to bring our way. How's that sound, everyone? It's my new favorite, Steve Spears. Oh, my gosh. I love this. I love this 2019 Spearsy with the optimism. It's wonderful. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thanks for playing anyway. How many of you, like, do, I mean, when you look back on your lives, I was thinking about this question like Oh, my ago. gosh. Here we go already. We're in the, we're the <laughs> 10 minutes into the first show of the year. When you look back across the ruin of your life. <laughs> I mean, who is there a specific time period where you thought, okay, I'm, you, you, need, you need a second wind. You're making a comeback. There's been some sort of dramatic change in your life, and you have to uh, – turn things around or you're faced with a certain set of obstacles that you had to overcome does any any crisis um surface to the top of your skull yeah 1991 was pretty shitty i really needed to turn it around in 92 what happened 
Uh, I met my wife <laughs> on January <laughs> <be> on <laughs> January seventeenth of nineteen ninety two, and my life went from down to up. Oh, but what was so down about it before? Oh, I just I had like, a, like in short, I had a terrible job. My first job out of out of college, I was working for this tiny manufacturing company. They couldn't make payroll. Like I would get my if I told the story on the show, maybe I would get my paycheck on a Friday afternoon, and everybody in the company it would be pole position to the bank, not your bank, their bank, because you had to be like one of the first six people in line with that company's name on the check, or there wouldn't be money in the account to cash a check. Oh my gosh! I wasn't oh, no. getting paid basically. And then finally they laid me off and I'm like, oh, great. I'm freaking unemployed. I've been out of school for two years and I'm already a deadbeat. So <laughs> things were not looking good for me at the end of 1991. What, what about you, Jen? Huh? Well, well, for some reason, personal crises to share with everyone are not <laughs> coming to, to mind. But, you know, when you ask that question, I kind of flipped it in my brain. I remember thinking as a kid in the 80s and then as a young person, that I was gonna do that I was gonna be a wonderkind of some kind. And I have no idea if it was from like watching Doogie Hauser or what planted the seed <laughs> in my head that I was like gonna be an amazing blank early. And then there came a time when I started meeting people who were my own age, like in my early twenties, I would say, and they were all amazing people. And then I started realizing I don't think I, I'm going to be a wonderkind. A, people are more awesome than me. Some pe- a lot of people are more awesome than me. And B, I'm getting too old to be a wonderkind. And I think once I let go of that idea, I was able to like enjoy myself a little bit more. Like I wasn't so yeah. like ambitious for no reason. Give yourself a little more runway to get wherever it is you're going. Kind of, yeah. And, yeah. That, and I actually wound up taking a lot of runway and a lot of you know, diversions as a lot of people do in their lives. And it turned out, you know, it's turned out okay. Well, you are stuck here with us. But other than that... <laughs> Forever stuck. <laughs> um, so I thought about this this question as well, and I thought about the potential answers because I've I've been married twice. I've been divorced twice. So there, there are two opportunities for, to, for a second wind or a comeback. I took this job in Orlando. Then I got laid off for four months. So there's an opportunity for a comeback or a second wind. But ultimately what I come back to is, is 2005 when... Uh, I was feeling alienated. My second marriage was kind of on the rocks. My dad was dying from uh, complications of muscular dystrophy. And even my boss at work, at the newspaper I worked at, was had turned against me pretty much and, and felt I had no potential left there. Until I came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we start trying to do a podcast about something fun? Oh. And shortly afterwards, what the happened? was born. <laughs> Stuck. <laughs> <laughs> then what happened? <laughs> so stuck in the eighties was my second, oh. and it is it has blown in my direction for thirteen years, and it is ultimately what keeps me standing on days when it feels like the wind is blowing in the wrong direction. Man, that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. So, Brad, let's get things started. After, well, I mop my tears here. Uh, we're going to start Happy with I don't, I don't know if I'm Happy qualified. Tears. I don't think I can step up to that plate, man. I'm, I'm feeling very uh, very concerned about my ability to bring even my B-plus game to, to this podcast now that I realize the import. <laughs> That's okay. No one's going to listen to this episode anyway. Coming from someone who is not a wonderkind, go, just do it. Okay. <laughs> just go just for step it. step up there. It doesn't matter. Take the shot, right? Right. Take the shot. Yeah. So let's let's start with movies, movies, movie actors of the eighties. Uh, when you think of comebacks, 
what name comes to mind first? My first, my first pick today, and this was the first one that came to mind when we started talking about this topic, was Sean Connery. Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, I suppose you wouldn't care to um, raise the limit? I have no objection. So look, Sean Connery, that name is 007. I, I, it just is, right? As it turns out, you know, he'd been yeah. trying to make it in show business since the early 50s. Probably the first time anybody in the United States saw him was when he was in uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, 1959 Disney movie. I don't know if you remember that particular gem. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one. Her eyes so sparkling, full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. She is my dear, my darling one. My smiling and big island one. I love the ground she walks upon. My darling Irish girl. It, it plays in the bathrooms at work. Oh, sweet what? Jesus. You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm oh, kidding. Oh, my God. Thank God. <laughs> we both felt for um, that. Yeah, I'm like, wow, they have better bathrooms than when I worked at Disney. Obviously, his big break, big is probably not a big enough word to use. His big break came when he won the role of James Bond in 1962. And that was really the, the James Bond work he did from 62 to 70 one or so that's his that's a career i mean that's it that's enough for most people to make a, a career of it but he stepped away from the role in the early 70s roger moore takes over and he kind of you know i don't know if the foot came off the gas on his side or on the studio side or what but he just didn't do a whole lot of really high, high profile stuff through the 70s in 1983 he reprised his role in never say never again which i think gets a bad rap it's not a terrible movie it's not amazing but it also made plenty of money so that worked out for for the studio people but the production was just a mess his wrist was broken by the film's fight choreographer and he guesses on who that was no steven seagal oh how funny oh, no. <laughs> yeah so he was like eh, i don't know about this movie thing i think i'm gonna stop for a while but then he showed up again in 1986 in the name of the rose which i think is a really really good movie Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Also, cult classic Highlander. I think you remember that one, right, Spearsy? Yeah, yeah. I got that one burned on my brain. You must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. Ah, oh, so good. And and that that's kind of a precursor to a role that he would play a lot where he's a mentor to a character because what happens in 1987... He shows up in The Untouchables as, you know, Chicago street cop Jimmy Malone. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. He only wins an Academy Award for that. <laughs> you know, he's back, baby, at that point. I mean, I know it's the end of the 80s, but if we, if we just look at what he did in the rest of the 80s, the Last Crusade. He's fantastic in that. Yeah. And, and I'm grandfathering in, as I always do, I'm grandfathering in Hunt for Red October, uh, in which he plays Marco Ramius, the Russian sub-commander. And since then, I think he's worked pretty steadily. I mean, an Academy Award can do that for anybody, maybe anybody but me, but that really <laughs> got him back. We've switched roles. You're playing Eeyore now, and I'm like the upbeat Brad. No, I just know I can't act. <laughs> can I ask, can I do a quick poll here? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Connery, best 007? No. Ooh. Really? Who do you think is? I grew up with um, Roger Moore, you grew so up I, with I Roger think of Moore. him. 
I will tell you, Jen, with one N, my answer would have been Sean Connery until Casino Royale came out. And I think think Daniel Craig plays the character in a more (sighs) like blunt force trauma kind of way. It's the way the character is written in the books by Ian Fleming. I think, no, it's, it's, I think it's true to the character. No, you're just full of shit, Brad. No, I am if not. You really want it, if you really want the real, you really want the truest James Bond, and you have to go think, with um, Timothy Dalton in the late '80s. No, I, mm-hmm. you know what? He, he's a, he's better than he gets credit for, but he's not as good as Daniel Craig. Yeah, no, no, we, we're going to have to. to you're going to have to uh, know you disagree. Wrong. No. Yeah. Well, I, just, that, yeah, I asked that answer, question, and, and we mine is Sean Connery. I didn't necessarily grow up with him. I, th- I guess I grew up with Roger Moore, but I also grew up watching the old movies on TBS, right? Yeah. So maybe it's because of that. But I, I have always found Sean Connery to be just a smooth operator, and I just think he, he is uh, James Bond to me. <sighs> and one other thing too is I feel like Sean Connery, the man, the actor, is aging so amazingly, and it's sort of how I would imagine. I know he doesn't age. But it's how I imagine James Bond would age, just with grace and with style. It's my argument. Okay, Jen, it's your turn. Uh, let's talk about uh, an actor or actress who made a great comeback in the 80s. I chose Ms. Shirley MacLaine. Excuse me. It is after 10. Give my daughter the pain shot, please. Mrs. Greenway, I was going to. Oh, good. Go ahead. In just a few minutes. Well, please, it's, it's after 10. It's after 10. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, it's not my patient. It's time for her shot. You understand? Do something. All she has to do is hold on until 10. And it's past 10. She's in pain. My daughter's in pain. Give her the shot. You understand? You're going to behave. Give my daughter the shot. So Shirley MacLaine, as we know, is an actress, a singer, and a dancer. So she's been a triple threat since she started in the movie business in the 50s. Her first movie was Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry in 1955. That was her first movie. Oh, my movie. gosh. Wow, I know. And she was so delightful in that part. It's, it's Anyway, so she, I, I feel like from the beginning, she's been Shirley MacLaine. Do you know what I mean? Since oh, yeah. then, she was nominated. Yeah. So she's been nominated for an Academy Award six times since then, um, including The Apartment, Irma LaDouche, and The Turning Point in 1977. So she's, she's storied. And then... The thing about Shirley MacLaine is she's been around and she's she's continued to work. She was still around in the seventies. She was in Being There, the Peter Sellers oh classic. Oh my god, so good. so good, so good. Right, so she's she's always been around, but I think she became like a juggernaut of a of a of a celebrity, maybe even in nineteen eighty three when she got that beautiful part of Aurora Greenaway in Terms of Endearment, which. I think everyone knows is my has been my favorite movie since fifth grade, even though I didn't understand half of it when I was in fifth grade. But it's I love this movie. I love this role. She's wonderful in it. One thing I'll say, she won the Best Actress Oscar for this role. The only thing is, I feel like Deborah Winger's role as her daughter in terms of endearment is the most perfect piece of acting I've ever seen. And that, that so I, I, I'm happy that that happened, but also I wish that they could have given out too, <laughs> because I just thought Deborah Winger was so yeah. amazing in that yeah. movie. Yeah, great movie. I've seen it so many times. Oh, me too. I, I have not, well, I don't know if we've talked about this. I haven't watched it since I had my own daughter oh. because 
the scene at the end that I think would might wreck mess me for you up hard. days. <laughs> I mean, before I had a kid, I would start crying when her best friend Patsy brings her makeup in the hospital when she's about to see her son and say go- send sons and say oh. goodbye. Oh no, like, no. The well, the, the to me the best scene is when she tells her older son, you, know, "You may think that you hate me now." I know you like me. I know it. For the last year or two, you've been pretending like you hate me. I love you very much. I love you as much as I love anybody. As much as I love myself. And in a few years, when I haven't been around to be on your tail about something or irritating you, you're going to remember. You're going to remember that time that I bought you the baseball glove when you thought we were too broke. You know? Or when I, I read you those stories. Or when I, I let you goof off instead of mowing the lawn. Lots of things like that. And you're going to realize that you love me. And maybe you're going to feel badly because you never told me. But don't. I know that you love me. Oh, I oh. just... You guys seem to stop, okay? I'm in a hotel room by myself. <laughs> it's not going to end well. Stop talking about this. I know. Anyway, someday I will watch the movie again and I'll just be armed with a huge box of tissues. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was her sort of huge, huge... I mean, I'm not going to say breakdown. No, but it was the... And it wasn't <laughs> um, just I'm back. It was like, hey guys, remember me? I'm f***ing awesome. Yeah. Remember how good I am? Jeez. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like she she could have been like she could have had Meryl Streep's career, which was so constant because she was always coming out with role after role. And I feel like this finally kind of reminded everyone like I'm this caliber of an actress. So throughout the rest of the 80s, she was in um, Madame Suzatska, which is she's better than that material. I have always thought it's it's kind of a it's a fine movie if you catch it on HBO. Some well, I guess you don't. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> TBS maybe. I don't know. Um, and then um, I'm, I'm pulling Steve. <laughs> and then um, of course, of course, she closes out the '80s with Steel Magnolias, where she plays Weezer. And it, it, it's a wonderful performance. Again, totally different than what she's played before, but super fun. And I just have to mention this: she's also an author. She's written guess how many memoirs? Oh um, dear, five. Brad, I was going to go with four. Just go prices right, you know, one under fifteen. What? So I lived <laughs> fifteen. The last one was as recent as like a couple years ago. What? Seriously, wow. how much so is it in, changing? I don't know. I've no, I've only read one. It's the one she published in 1983. It's called Out on a Limb. And if you recall, like they, this was the, the yeah, topic of a lot of late one. night comedy, this is the big right? One. Right. It's like that she talked about reincarnation and like trance channeling and UFOs. And in eighth grade, I read this because <laughs> we for English class because we had to choose an autobiography. So I chose Shirley MacLaine's oh, Out on a Limb. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! I had to do that in I, eighth grade too. I read Wilt Chamberlain's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> in eighth grade. That's hilarious! I'm like, wow, yeah. twenty thousand women—that's a lot of girls. Oh my gosh! So uh, so Out on a Limb, which I honestly didn't finish. I just read enough to scrape together a book report. <laughs> And if you want but, to know yeah. how it ends, check out the book. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, and this is something I didn't remember either, but um, Out on a Limb was adapted for a five-hour miniseries. Do you guys remember this at all? Really? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, five-hour miniseries, and, and she's played herself as... Oh, Jesus. Who else is yeah. qualified? Who else right. is qualified? Yeah. Meryl Streep right. was not available. Can, can I tell you my, my um, Shirley MacLaine uh, guilty pleasure moment? Oh, yeah. 
That sounds bad. It's gross not me as bad out. as it sounds. Don't gross me out. <laughs> yeah. So I like to Google Shirley MacLaine topless. And then, no, it's. Have you seen the movie? It's from the early 90s called Defending Your Life. Sure. Oh, it's a oh, great yeah. movie. Albert Brooks. If you haven't seen this movie, by the way, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's it so is, good. It is seriously how I hope that the afterlife is. <laughs> and, Legal. Um, what's interesting, you go, when you die, you go to. It's like a service station. It's basically, or like the a county courthouse. Yeah, you basically you have to defend your life and show that you've overcome fear. And you also find out that at that point, you you keep going back and returning to Earth and living as a human until you've progressed enough to progress elsewhere in the universe. So in Defending Your Life, there's a past lives pavilion that Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep, of all people, <laughs> go to. And who is the host at the past lives pavilion? Why, it's Shirley MacLaine. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> right. And it's just, it's just such a subtle joke. And... I just I love it so much. It's just it is just like a, the cherry on top of what is a perfect movie, and it's the fact that Shirley MacLaine could kind of, you know, see the humor in what, you know, yeah, I presume saw the humor could, and, could join in. Yeah, could join in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic, and it's, she's a perfect pick. And when uh, when Jen suggested Shirley MacLaine, I was like, oh yeah, it's just brilliant. So should we rename the podcast the Past Lives Pavilion? <laughs> it's kind of what it's become. <laughs> As long as we're in on the joke. Uh, I really do. I really want to believe that, though. And like, and when I come across things in life, at, that's what goes through my head sometimes when I'm thinking, you have to show that you've overcome fear. You have to to show that you've beaten fear and you have to, to embrace this challenge mm-hmm. and not let it get to you. That's, You're building that's your case. My, that's, that's not yeah, that, You yeah, know, yeah. There, are worse, there are worse credos to live by, Steve. There are a lot yes, worse there, I think there is. And you know. I can't find any fault in that. What would Albert Brooks do? That's what I want to say. I used to make fun of my friends in college who went out to find themselves. I took the business route. So I wind up here. I can't believe it. What do I get? I get a transfer. After all these years, I get a transfer. I can get that at a bus stop right now. I don't need any qualifications. Oh, by the way, our hairpiece secret is off. So let's talk about TV for a second. TV was one of the tougher ones because as we've kind of talked about on the show before, none of us, well, Jen was probably more of a TV watcher in the 80s than we were Mm because we're a few years older than she is. But in TV in the 80s, I can think of at least one really great example of an actor who made a hell of a comeback. And I'm talking, I'm talking, of course, I bet most people won't realize this one. I'm talking about Robert Culp. You're going to run around with the monkeys. You've got to remember to bring the cages. It saves trouble up front. Now, you guys remember Robert Culp from playing secret agent Bill Maxwell in The Greatest American Hero, right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. He was a god on television in the late 50s and 60s. He played Texas Ranger uh, Hobby Gilman in the TV Western Trackdown. He had his biggest role ever, probably, as secret agent Kelly Robinson on I Spy. Yeah, that's what I remember him from, Play, is I Spy. Yeah, playing opposite some nobody named Bill Cosby. Tennis pro. Right. Uh, yeah. But by the time that the 70s rolled around, he was largely kind of doing, you know, one shot, uh, one episode appearances on TV series. Not, not, he wasn't – he didn't have any, like – Really amazing work to point to. But in 1981, he got that break when he was cast as the FBI agent, uh, Bill Maxwell, the greatest American hero, who teams up with a high school teacher who receives superpowers from extraterrestrials. And he always calls them uh, your magic jammies. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, Brad. I mean, because you, you must have at least watched a little I, bit. I've, of I've seen American a few hero. of them, yeah. 
you couldn't really get away from to it. To me, that was like, it was high art at our age in 1981. It's pretty, yeah, for 1981 television, it's pretty high concept. You're a superhero, but you don't have any idea how this damn thing works. Right, because you lost the manual. So it worked great. We actually interviewed William Catt on the podcast probably, you know, eight years ago now. And I have some autographed uh, Greatest American Hero comic books on the wall saying, you really are stuck in the 80s. (laughs) Stuff like that. Um, what were but, you expecting, me, bro? Like, from William Cat, I would love to have had Bill Maxwell sign him, but I don't know. How, I don't know how he felt about Christ American Hero towards the end of his life. Other things you might have remembered him from. Who who here saw Turk One Eighty Two? I love Turk One Eighty Two. My hand is up. I've yes, seen it. It's love Turk One. Yes, it's fantastic. I don't remember it being very good, but I remember seeing it. It's good. Stop it, man. If it was on right now, I'd stop the podcast and go watch it. Okay, I'm going to I kind of agree with Brad. It's not a great movie. It kind of reminds me of the like the guy version of The Legend of Billie Jean. Like it's it could be Ooh, the same that's movie. That's really good. You know what? That's yeah, a very that's great comparison. Really good. Yeah. We're going to yeah. keep you around. Yeah. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> what are you doing in early March? Uh, and if anyone remembers in the early 90s, in the early 90s, he played the president of the U.S. Uh, in the movie Pelican Brief. Oh, okay. And he was a regular figure on Everybody Loves Raymond, which I never did watch. But uh, he did pass away in 2010 during a hike in Runyon Canyon in L.A. I have no idea where That's, that is, but Brad probably uh, does. I have a, a pretty good idea. That is like a freeway of a hike. Like if he had a, if he had a heart attack or something, there were probably six cardiologists within a quarter mile of him. Okay, well... He didn't make it. So I'm sorry that he didn't make it, but he was he did not die alone yeah, he, in running. He lived Canyon. a long life and he had a great career in the eighties. <laughs> Stuck in the eighties is happy to welcome back Care of as a sponsor of the podcast. Care of is the monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin supplement packs right to your door. Hey, it's a new year, and that probably means you made health and wellness a top priority. So why not get a little bit of help from the experts? Just go to their website, take a fun little online quiz, and care of will decide what vitamins you need to reach your goals. Then, just wait, the supplements will be delivered right to your door. It's that simple. Need another reason to try care of? A portion of every sale goes to the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need of valuable prenatal vitamins. I've been getting care of vitamins for almost a year now. I just slip the little packet of pills into my pocket each morning and take them to work, take them later with a cup of coffee, no stress, no fuss. But because you're a listener to Stuck in 80s, you can get 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Just go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code 80s. That's 80s. The website is TakeCareOf.com, promo code 80s. Let's all feel better in 2019. Now back to the show. I dare Jen to come up with a name as as illustrious as my beloved uh, Robert Culp. So you asked me this question earlier this week, and I was like, how about Sybil what? Shepherd?" <laughs> and you were like, whoa. <laughs> He was like, whoa, and I was so, like, whoa. I'm not having anything to do with that man. That man is a murderer. Maybe. Murderer? Murderer, maybe. Fine. I don't care. We don't help murderers. We don't help murderers. Maybe. Will you relax? Relax? That man hit his wife. Hit his wife. Fine. Fine? I don't mean fine. fine? I mean fine. Yes. yes. Agreed. The man hit his wife. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let me talk. Uh-huh. Yes. He hit her. 
and that's a terrible thing, but he didn't mean to do it. He didn't and that makes it all right? No, I don't think that makes it all right. But even the law acknowledges there's such a thing as losing your temper, becoming irrational, committing an act of passion. Passion? Obviously, Sybil Shepard is an actress and former model. Couple of quick facts here. She won the Miss Teenage Memphis contest in 1966 when she was only 16 years old. Then a couple of years later, she won Model of the Year, which launched her career as a fashion model. Her first movie was The Last Picture Show in oh 1971. My God. Right. That was her first movie. And and rumor has it, I, I think I think it was like in an old interview with her, her or possibly her autobiography, that she got the role after the director, Peter Bogdanovich saw her on the cover of Glamour magazine and just was like, that's her. That's JC, that like the character that she plays in the in the last picture show. So yeah, that was that was how she started. Then she went on in the 70s still to play um Kelly in the Heartbreak Kid opposite Charles Grodin. And then my favorite part that she's in besides the 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 TV show, Taxi Driver in 1976, of course, where she's the object of Travis Bickle's obsession. Right. And you know what I'm talking, wasn't she also in like Stardust Memories or something. There was there was a Woody Allen's movie where she was on a train and she has no lines. She's just sitting and looking beautiful. That sounds like a Woody Allen thing, so we'll, we'll give you that. Is that ringing a bell? And I feel like it was her because she is freaking beautiful. And she's one of those actresses that is as beautiful in black and white. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was her. Anyway, all of this is backstory to say... She moves to, she was in a few more movies. They, they weren't nearly as successful as the ones I mentioned. She moves back to New York in 1982 to start acting on stage. And then in 1985, she gets cast as Miss Maddie Hayes in Moonlighting. And she played that part for um, the whole run of the show until it, it uh, ended in 1989. But what fantastic casting. I mean, at good timing too. Like the, I feel like she personifies the topic of this podcast right now because she had this comeback as kind of a person in a show who was having her own comeback, right? So Maddie Hayes, if you remember, was a, a model on the show and she inherits a detective agency and she, she made her money like being an, a model for Blue Moon hair products or something. So she names the detective agency Blue Moon Detective Agency because why not? And then she has to like learn this new thing and she actually becomes pretty good at it. I kind of like that twist uh, on it too, of of like it's it's Maddie Hayes enjoying a comeback as well. But obviously, the show was all about her and David Addison, uh, Bruce Willis or Bruno or whatever you want to call the guy in 1985. But the chemistry was just so spot on. And I've heard that Sybil Shepherd had a hand in casting, so she she knew that there would be some kind of spark between the two of two of them. Because that was like much of the joy of the show, besides the like, you know, wacky other characters and and the fun writing. Did you guys watch that show? It, it was a great show. It was one of the few shows I did watch in the late eighties. Not 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 every week, but an, it wasn't the kind of show that you had to watch every week. Like the, the, the TV shows today, if you miss an episode, you've completely lost the storyline for the most part. But but. In the 80s, for the most part, especially with Moonlighting, you know, there's like a loose storyline, like, okay, they're kind of flirting with each other, and eventually it's going to become serious. But you could skip five shows and come right back in, and you haven't missed a beat. Right. And it was fun, too, because it wasn't just a comedy. It was a um, mystery, too. So there they were, you know, they had a mystery at the beginning of the show. They solved it by the end of the show. Never seen a single episode. 
Get out of here! You should. It's 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 pretty good. It's, it's fun. I bet it stands up. To, I bet it stands. If I ever get around well. to it, which will never happen, then I will let you know. I just I have friends that say <laughs> I, have, I have friends that say hey, I've got this TV show I think you like, and then they say, "Why am I suggesting this to you? You're never going to watch it." I'm like, "I know. I'm bad at watching TV." Yeah, I I love this one. I remember they they did one episode. They did a um a spoof on Taming of the Shrew. And they said all their oh, lines. Yes. Oh, it was so fun! And everybody said all their lines in iambic pentameter. Mm-hmm. I did see I that. The writers. Had oh, fun it was with great. That. Sometimes I still giggle. Yeah, but sometimes I giggle because I remember this one line where Maddie says something about um, somebody's playing a piano, and then David says some wise ass thing, and then she says something about him having pianist envy, and I just thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Just on snuck TV. that one past the standards and practices, people. Exactly. Right. Exactly. They were on strike that week. Okay, let's switch over to the world of music. Uh, Brad, you've been snarky and dismissive all night long. Me? Uh, maybe you should uh, step forward and receive some tomatoes across the face. You, you uh, what bring musician it. have you, you picked it. from the good old days of yesteryear to represent as having a comeback in the 80s? Steve Spears and Jen with one N. I give you a man whose comeback was about as Spearsy as they come, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Roy Orbison. A candy-colored clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is all right I close my eyes So I'm not sure how well you remember this, youngsters, but Roy Orbison was a king in the 60s. He was a king. He had 22 singles in the top 40 from 1960 to 1966. Jesus. Yeah, and I would say his his love of the dark, brooding ballads makes him mm. the Steve Spears solo male artist of the 60s. I'm giving him the <laughs> word right now. Mm-hmm. Then the wheels kind of came off for Roy, and it wasn't all the music business. He had a lot of personal stuff that went wrong. Like He was out riding motorcycles with his wife, and his wife had a fatal motorcycle crash while they were out then while he was on tour in england he gets a call oh your house burned down and two of your sons died in the house fire like oh Oh my my goodness yeah just not good stuff happening to him but he kept he kept recording yeah i didn't really know that either he continued recording but he felt really lost and was kind of directionless and he he later was quoted saying I didn't hear a lot I could relate to, so I kind of stood there like a tree where the winds blow and the seasons change, and you're still there, and you bloom again. Which is kind of a downer, and then it ends with the blooming, so maybe it's not so Spearsy after all. Things started to turn around for him a little bit at the beginning of the (laughs) 80s. Don McLean covered Crying, and it charted. And then I'm sure we all remember 1982's cover of Oh Pretty Woman by a little band you might have heard of called Van Halen. But I'm going to give the last piece of credit to David Lynch for helping Roy turn the last corner to the big comeback with the use of In Dreams in the movie Blue Velvet.
We're giving our neighbor joyride. Do you remember how, in, I mean, that movie, that song is a, plays a big part in the movie. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember. I, I got to admit, well. I don't remember it, but I, when I watched that film, I used to just fast forward to certain scenes and then move on. <laughs> yes, you oh, did. My God. Yes, you did. Okay, and we're back to the Shirley McLean thing. Okay, so that, that I think really, I, I don't know, it just seemed to put a little more wind behind him. 1987, he released an album of re-recorded hits called In Dreams, The Greatest Hits. But 1988 was peak Roy Orbison. Like, I don't think I knew who Roy Orbison really was until 1988 when he appeared as Lefty Wilbury in the Grammy-winning debut from The Traveling Wilburys. I listen to the Traveling Wilburys like once a week now for the last year. Really? I, I, don't, I never, I never liked them before. But huh. really interesting. What do you think changed? Tom Petty died, um, and I watched yeah. the Tom Petty documentary, and I saw the kind of the backstory of the Wilburys, and then I suddenly kind of appreciated the whole thing. Okay, and you're cool. forgetting another really important thing. Doesn't the the song I'm uh, crying? Appear in um, God, is it crying that appears in the movie Hiding Out with John Cryer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, she, doesn't he do a duet with Katie Lang? Yeah, that oh, sounds great. Right. First sounds of all, right. Hiding Out is a gem of a movie in the eighties. I but love that movie. It's the, the the Roy Orbison song makes it full marks to you, Steve Spears. Full marks. No notes. He's just <laughs> flying out there blindfolded. <laughs> no. So, Roy, that, that's a good pick. I think that's a good pick for this for the. Uh, well, uh, subject matter. Let me, let me bring it in to sh- to tell you why it is the most Spearsy comeback of the '80s. He recorded a final solo album in 1988. It was released in January of 1989. It was his first album of new material since the late '70s. This album, Mystery Girl, which was received very well by the the critics and by the public, was released less than two months after his sudden death from a heart attack. Well, that's something else he and I will have in common someday. So we you, got that going. You for got us. an album in the can, bro? No, I got a heart attack in the can. Mm. So uh, eat more vegetables. That. Eat year round. <laughs> I know it's too bad we don't have to, a, a sponsorship <laughs> to talk about right now. Well, I, it's <laughs> funny. It's funny you say it because because just last night I made the chickpea tacos that Brad was raving about like a month ago on the show from Hello Fresh. They're so good. They sh- yeah. they should not taste anywhere near as good as they do. It's one of those things you're like, no, they shouldn't. You're putting these ingredients, you're like, this is food for someone who hates themselves. And then you eat it, and you're like, yeah. I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> I know. I just want to. I want to eat chickpeas in for breakfast over with milk. I, they're just magical. But uh, I don't think they're going to save me from my ultimate demise. Anyway, while we ponder my certain demise from uh, chickpeas, <laughs> turkey, and frozen pizza, and misuse of chickpeas. Not a breakfast food. So is it my turn yet? Can I talk about uh, my favorite comeback in music? In Otherwise, I'm going to have to go into me. details about Roy Orbison's funeral, and that's just going to be depressing. <laughs> yeah. God, don't do that. I'll, be, I'll start working that into my will. Uh, here we go. So here's my surprise pick. Tina Turner. Oh, yes, I'm touched by this show of emotion. Should I be fractured by your lack of devotion? Should I? 
So Tina Turner was huge in the 60s, as we all remember, from our parents telling us about it endlessly and playing their records. Everyone remembers the Ike and Turner Review. Uh, we remember A Fool in Love, It's Gonna Work Out Fine, River Deep, Mountain High, Proud Mary. But in the 70s, uh, whereas I enjoy a good Diet Coke, Ike Turner's addiction was more just regular Coke. Oh, and, oh really? Is that what we're doing now? So, that and, uh, you know, let's face it, a really despicable history of domestic abuse. After a divorce in 1978, Tina had to assume all the debt from a tour that they had to cancel in the aftermath of all the personal, you know, fiasco, FUBAR, as it would would be called. Uh, she also had a tax lien from the IRS to deal with. Huh. And so she kind of, the 70s were not like Tina's glory days. But she'll make up for it. Starting in 1983, she had a cover of Al Green's Let's Stay Together. But let's face it, who did not own the album Private Dancer after it came out in 1984? Anyone? 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 We all owned it. It was required. It was like issued to us. Am I the contrarian on this episode? I did not own that album. Okay. Yeah, I'm I had the, sure I I had the cassette present. for sure. I had the cassette for Fine. sure. Fine. I'll, yeah. I'll be that guy. It's okay. You're not surprised. That's <laughs> yeah. not really... Yeah. Anyway. So you have, you have What's Love Got to Do With It, Private Dancer, uh, Better Be Good to Me, all huge hits. She would win four Grammys for that album. But then... So like you think, okay, come back complete. She's got her second wind. I'm like... Every, every time I say second wind, Billy Joel pays me an extra dollar. <laughs> yeah, he does. By the way... Have you seen the video for uh, Second Wind? It's I watched it like five minutes before the podcast. It's so bad. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. It's not a great song, but it, I felt it captured the uh, the spirit of the podcast. Anyway, I had to slip that in there. I, I swore like when after I watched it, I'm like, I have to work this into the podcast. I did not anticipate working it in right in the middle of the Tina Turner tribute, but that's, that's just the way things go. Got to go where the spirit moves you. Right. So 1985, a magical year. Brad and I would both graduate from high school. And the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome came out. You think I don't know the law? Wasn't it me who wrote it? And I say that this man has broken the law. Right or wrong, we had a deal. And the law says, bust a deal, face the wheel. Bust a deal and face the wheel. And I don't care what kind of human being you were. If you weren't existing in the uh, this parallel of the universe, if you did not enjoy... All the fun and humor and destruction that was Mad Max. Right, Brad? I cannot agree with you more wholeheartedly, Stephen Q. Spears. Okay. Jen, did you ever see Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Yes, I did. Did you yes, like did. it or, or do you think that nope. may be overselling it? Nope, nope. I liked it very much. And I think Tina Turner is amazing. And she <laughs> looked so fierce in that movie. I, she's, oh, I, yeah. I love, I love, 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 love Tina Turner. Be- before you just wrap up with her, I just have to say, so I started listening to music and, and it became part of my consciousness right around 83, like the popular music. And it really um, obviously stayed with me. But it was one of those things where like, I thought Tina Turner was new. So when I was a kid, it wasn't a comeback. It was this awesome woman, powerful, beautiful, uh, talented Tina Turner, and then like as she's you know the second time around becoming more successful, you, you start 
as a kid hearing about, you know, that's her from that she's doing Proud Mary and her hair is long and like she's doing all that crazy dancing. And you're like, what? That's her? And you can't believe she's been around for so long, you know? So, yeah, but I I love her. I loved her in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I continue to love her to this day. She was at Live Aid. She had the duo with uh, Brian Adams, It's Only Love. She ended the, the decade with, with gusto. In 1988, she performed in front of 180,000 fans in Rio de Janeiro. Holy I, I don't crap. know that there's anyone in our comeback list who's as impressive as uh, Tina Turner. Nope, she's it. That's it. Except. <laughs> oh. Dun, dun, If you had to mention someone who's not a single entity, but rather a group, I give you the geniuses behind this song. Love Aerosmith's mix up with Run DMC. It's so good. I think Run DMC didn't love it. (laughs) There's a great documentary on it that's in Rolling Stone, I believe, where they talk about it's it's one of those oral histories where they all kind of talk about what they remember, and for the most part, none of it remember remember it as a pleasurable experience, and they all kind of didn't think, and no one knew what was going on. But Walk This Way was one of those things in the '80s that. If there might if there might have been a single moment that encapsulated the idea of a comeback, that might have been it. Because Aerosmith was pretty much done by the time the eighties rolled around. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, you're not for wrong. Sure. So in nineteen eighty six, they got together with Run DMC. They do this, and after that, nothing but complete success from pretty much from there on. I mean, Permanent Vacation came out in nineteen eighty seven, followed by Pump in nineteen eighty nine. It was all uphill after that for them, but that was one of those great moments that, like so many moments where you just don't know what it is when it starts, it's just, it goes on to become a, a you know, a career, uh, it becomes, it becomes one of those changing moments in history. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of a rare win-win too, because it resuscitated Aerosmith for sure, but it also put Run DMC in front of a bunch of people that wouldn't have probably otherwise given them 30 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I knew of them. Yeah, absolutely. The time, well, so. and also, I mean, like to go even bigger picture, it really put rap and then hip hop into the mainstream. Like this was the song. This is the song that did it. Yeah. Put this is the game. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I must say, I've mentioned Hit Parade before, that fantastic Slate podcast, but there is an episode. I think it's probably my favorite after the Petty Prince one. It's called the Def Jams edition. And it talks all about how, um, what we're talking about right now, about how like Aerosmith was on top in the 70s and then like drugs and conflict in the band and all that stuff, you know, just sort of appeared to destroy them. And then in 1986, um, someone had the good idea to put these two together. And, and we were saying like, you know, Run DMC was not super thrilled about it. They thought it was kind of corny, but it turned out to be exactly the right move at exactly the right time. So check out Hit Parade Podcast, the Def Jams edition. It talks all about this. It's fascinating. You know what we should check out right now? The, the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Moment. Mystery Movie Moment. Mystery movie, mystery movie moment. 
I'm I'm losing some syllables there. I'm just realizing that we've been recording for 50 minutes and we still have so much more to go. Content rich, anyway. though, my friend. Content rich. <laughs> it's content. <coughs> so is the uh, my blood alcohol level. Hmm. As always, we will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, you are entered into a drawing for... Uh, I do this every week, but I just want to be sure before I promise people things. We still have some bottle openers, Brad? I will tell you when we run out. We do still have bottle openers. <laughs> okay. You promise? I promise. Just like you promised me yesterday that you were going to send me a logo so I could order temporary tattoos for Stuck in the 80s? That was more of a guideline. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just trying to put things into context. Okay, pay you attention. Here's, the, here's the, the mystery movie clip from the last time, whenever that was, that we did this show. Why don't you just play quarterback, Jermaine? I ain't seen you do no end zone dancing, Marvell. Yes, that's from Wildcats. Easily the worst football movie of the 80s no. in a decade that didn't have any really good ones no, to begin I with. No, I love Wildcats. <sighs> I, will, I will admit that it maybe isn't a great football movie, but it's a lot of fun. It's fun, but it's not a good football movie. Okay. Yeah, that's true. You so men owe me a new pair of slippers, though. No, I'm sorry. You owe me a new <laughs> yeah. stopwatch. It, there's a million great lines in it, that's for sure. And We've used it several times, this is mystery movie moment, for yes. good reason, because there's so much rich yes. material there to be mined. Yes. It's like, it's like a rue. As the dwarves <laughs> mined Moria. I can't believe you guys bought into my whole that they, Darby O'Gill and the little people was playing in the Disney bathroom. Uh, you were very you convincing. You just never know what yeah. kind of brainwashing they're nothing, subjecting nothing you to. Nothing plays in Disney bathroom. There's no music. There's, when you're on hold at Disney, it plays Disney radio. Yes. So if you're on hold with technical support, you're you're going to be listening to, uh, you know, basically songs from Pirates of the Caribbean for an hour, but that's okay. Anyway, Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Brock in North Dakota, Rick Parker, Joseph Perdue, Tom Corn in Austria, Birthday Boy Dave Augie August, DJ and Clinton, Dave Parrott, and Lou, Sweet Lou Grilly. Okay, pay- now what? Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. You tell your brother he messes with me, he messes with my whole family. If you know it, email us at podcast at sits.com and tune in next year to find out if you're a winner. <laughs> Ah, uh, the mystical refrain that is named the 80s tune. Uh, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you get it right. Again, uh, it's money time. It's payday. It's bottle opener time. I can't remember the last time I opened a bottle. I mean, like a, like a beer bottle, I should say. Really? Last time I opened a bottle bottle was like about 30 minutes before the podcast That's started. a screw top, though. But uh, <laughs> it's more of a screw top. Exactly. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from um, Sometime in the Fall. That's Stand or Fall by The Fix.
who thinks that uh, the performance by the fix will be the uh, the standout moment of the eighties cruise this year? I think it will be one of many. I think it'll be one of f- four. I am one of four. <laughs> one of four. Probably most excited about seeing their set, but uh, yeah, we'll see what other surprises the cruise brings. It always that's the thing I love about it is that you always know someone's going to be great. You know, like someone's going to like. Someone's going to be the surprise hit, right? Like, like last year it was it was Lou Graham. Like Lou Graham blew everyone away last year. Yeah. Like we'd all heard they'd lost his voice. He has not lost his voice. Now we know the fix is good because Brad and I saw him in L.A. a few years ago. Yeah, Cy Kernan still um, sounds really good. I was surprised to to yeah. realize that this was their first single. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That I did not know, but I did not look it up either. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to to the fix, OMD, English Beat, and Lobster Tail. I think Grandmaster night. Flash, <laughs> Lobster Tail Night, <laughs> where they just keep bringing them out until you beg them to stop. The conveyor belt o crustaceans, <laughs> man. Oh my god! Every year, that's like the highlight. So anyway, now I'm getting hungry. But anyway, uh, let's spin the wheel. Find out who won. Perhaps some we should read swag. the winners first, Steve. Uh, Jen, Jen's here. Yeah, want want to hear some oh. of the winners, for example? Brad, why don't you read? Brad, no, I want to do Jen, it. Can you read these for me? My voice is giving out. <laughs> sure, I would love to. Winners include Beat Poet J, Perry Braun, Rock the Good Egg, Andrew Holler in Cincinnati, Dave Estelle or Estel, Marlene in G Town, Dave Parrot, Lou Sweet Lou Grilly, so busy. Eric in North Seattle, Lynn with three N's in Nebraska, that's a lot of N's, Donnie Metal rhymes with Gettle, Colin in Spoken, just kidding, Colin in Spokane, Spokane, Spokane. Chris Fogel <laughs> Sorry. in Rochester, New York, and Dave in Oxford. And now I am ready to spin that wheel. Uh, that sounds like what I'll be doing later. Oh, that was gross. amazing. I don't think the Thank wheel you. has ever spun that fast. Who is it? Who won? Who won? And looks like it's gonna looks like it's gonna land on. Hey, it's uh, Lynn with three N's in Nebraska. Yay! All those N's got the the wheel Finally, stuck. Finally, the N turns to a W. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I, I gotta admit, Lynn was in uh, Orlando this last week. I think he left on Monday. And you didn't answer any of his calls, did you? No, no. I mean, he and I were chatting via Facebook the whole time, but we were trying desperately to meet up. You know, like at Disney Springs or or somewhere like that. But I've been on call. I've been on call since oh, that's December right. 23rd. And when you're on call. No time for love, Dr. Jones. You're on call. You're, <laughs> yeah. You're tethered to your laptop and your phone. And you just, you have to be able to answer your phone and be online in 30 minutes. It just, as much as I wanted to like hang out and uh, catch up and stuff like that, I, I had to beg Lynn. I was like, please, next time you're here, I, I guarantee you I will not be on call. <laughs> but it, because it was the holidays and because it was my first year at Disney, I was like, I volunteered for all the. So I worked Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And Team player right there. So I've been – well, it's, I'm just trying to yeah. – but, but it came at the expense of hanging out with Lynn, and I feel bad about that. But but mm. uh, let this let this bottle opener be a small token of our appreciation. Mm. And and we will definitely uh, – you said something about being here next summer, and I, I will be there for you, Lynn. We'll go to uh, Disney Springs, and we'll have uh, – We'll go to the poutine stand and get some poutine with uh, with the fried yuca. That'll be delicious. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's the clip for this week. 
If you know it, email us at podcast at SATEs.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Richard Carmel's with the chocolatey claim new milk duds. Punchy malted milk balls waft more chocolatey new Whoppers candy. Can't get them off your mind. Richer. Can't get them off your mind. Smoother. Can't get them off your mind. New milk duds. Can't get them off your mind. New Whoppers. Can't get them off your mind. Until you pop them in your mouth. Whoppers. Milk duds. <laughs> new. And we're back. We've got a few minutes left. Brad, uh, by popular demand, people are wondering whatever came up to, with your idea, the virtual 5K uh, thing. So I'm working on that. I've got a list of names. I'm going to be sending out an email. There are a couple people that sent something on Facebook, and I need you to email me so I know how to get a hold of you or, or send us a message to the send a message to Stuck in the 80s on Facebook with your email where you want me to email you. But I'm looking at a couple different apps that I can set up like a running group, running club, and we can do... Uh, some challenges there, but it's a good time now. We could do like a if we did like an eight week thing, that would put us right before the cruise, which would be perfect for me. And it is all about me. Let's face it. <laughs> so watch this space, watch Jenny. This you going to do the five k virtual thing with with uh, Brad or no? Um, no, I don't like to run a lot of k's. It's <laughs> just not my thing. I, I, I'll commit to More a k. Yeah, it's just to. not my okay. fitness of choice. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk from my cabin down to the to, to the main show lounge at the boat. That'll be a K. Sweet. Full marks will be given. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, send your emails. Either send us a message with, with your email or just you can write Brad directly at brad at sit80s.com. Yep, yep. In the meantime, uh, you get your second win, my friends. Uh, the year is just getting started. Um, I'm going to be more positive. Jen, who is always so morose and downtrodden, she's going to promising to be to be more positive. And Brad, who who might be the best friend a guy could hope for, we're all going to be super happy, super motivated, but we're all going to still be here, hopelessly stuck in the eighties. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. Yeah.